Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the Untold Story podcast. For this week, I'm joined by Bjorn Lomborg, Copenhagen Consensus Center president and author of his new book, Best Things First. He wrote a very interesting piece in the New York Post, which we're going to focus on on the program today. But we want to get a longer dig into some of Mr. Lomborg's ideas in the podcast. So, Bjorn, great to have you with us today. Thank you very much for being here. I want to just start with a couple of things that happened in the president's speech at the U.N. And and one of the things that you talk about a lot is pushing back on the issues of climate change. You're considered one of the best thinkers on this issue and someone who was very prescient in figuring out the impact of green energy initiatives and the cost of them and whether or not they actually work to make the planet safer and greener. So the president called for an urgent address to climate change and the need for more money to be invested in these issues in order to combat the climate impact. What would you say to him on that? Well, he's right that there is a problem, Mm -hmm. but fundamentally, we have to be very careful that we don't spend so much money on climate, partly that there's nothing left for all the other problems that also matter, but also that we don't end up spending on really poor investments. So a lot of the things that the president wants and a lot of green campaigners want are things that cost a lot. So for instance, subsidizing uh, electric vehicles, but have very, very little impact. And remember, dealing with climate change is not about getting a few Americans or a few Europeans to cut a little bit of their CO2. It's eventually to get everyone to use energy that doesn't emit CO2. And that necessitates that this is not something where you have to bribe essentially people you know, with $10,000 and, and you, know, you can drive in the, in the carpool lanes and all kinds of other things for, for an electric car. You need to actually get technologies that people want. And so fundamentally, I think a lot of politicians and probably also Biden is way too focused on saying we want to cut uh, a few emissions pretty expensively right now instead of focusing on how do we solve this problem in the long run. And we do that through innovation. This is how this country has solved pretty much all problems. Uh, uh, Imagine most people don't know the story, but it's a great story. Uh, Back in the 1850s, we were basically hunting whales to extinction because whales deliver really, really good whale oil that you use to light up most of of the east coast of the US and, and Western Europe. It was incredibly clean. It burnt very brightly. Everybody loved it. But unfortunately, you know, killed all the whales. The solution to that was not to tell everyone, I'm sorry, you've got to go back to those old annoying things that pollute a lot more, but they're less bright. Would you mind doing that? Of course, people wouldn't want to do that. The solution was innovation. Find a different source. That was what you guys did. You found 
petroleum or oil in Pennsylvania in 1852. And suddenly you realize, oh wait, it's a lot easier to just dig it in Pennsylvania than go out in the middle of the ocean and kill a whale. And that's how we ended up saving the whales, by making a cheaper, better product that didn't necessitate killing the whales. We need to do the same thing for green energy today. Instead of trying to subsidize our way with not really great products like an electric car, it's great for some things, but most people don't want it. We should make sure we get green energy that's so cheap that everyone, both Americans, but also, and crucially, Chinese, Indian, and Africans will want to buy it. Okay. Um yeah, that's why Nantucket and New Bedford were two of the wealthiest cities in the entire world at that point yes, because of yes. the whaling industry. And that all changed dramatically, as we know. You know, the president, so, so what is that source? What is that, um, what is that Pennsylvania <laughs> source of oil in, in this scenario? If, if I knew, I'd be a lot richer than I am. <laughs> but but there's, a, there's a lot of potential ideas out there. So one, obviously, is fourth generation nuclear. Uh, th so these small modular reactors. Uh, remember how how everybody told you that third generation, the thing we have today, it's gonna to be too cheap to meter. Well, turned out not that way, right? So maybe fourth generation won't work, but it has a lot of promise. It's gonna be very cheap, it's gonna be very effective. You just get a, a sign off on the general model and then you just produce 100,000 of them. Potentially, this could be a breakthrough. Uh, there's another idea, uh, Craig Venter, the guy who cracked the human genome back in 2000, you may remember him. He has this idea of taking algae, uh, so basically genetically modified algae that soak up sunlight and CO2 and produce oil. Then he would just throw them out all over the ocean surface. We'd grow our own Saudi Arabias and then we'd harvest oil. Imagine if we could just do that, then we could all have our fossil fuel uh, economy. We could have all the cars that are out there behind us, but they would be CO2 neutral because they would be running on oil that we just produced three months before. Again, this doesn't work right now. I mean, it works in principle, but it's not cost effective. But if we could get that or one of the thousand other ideas to work, that could power the rest of the 21st century. So it's about investing in innovation. So I don't know what the right answer is, but if we invest in a lot of answers, one of them is gonna come through. So isn't that the philosophy behind, for instance, ocean wind, which is now turning out to be so expensive that companies that bid on these projects now can't afford to actually build them. And circling back to the whales, there are suspicions that maybe the drilling under the ocean bed that they needed to do and the sonar involved in these projects is killing, killing the whales. Yeah, yeah. No, look, so there's a lot of potential downsides. So wind is not a new uh, revelation. I mean, we've run the world on wind for what a couple thousand years. So we, it's an old technology. We have made it better, and it may turn out that we can get wind to be so cheap that with lots and lots of batteries, it'll actually work. But you need lots and lots of batteries. It doesn't work without it because otherwise, what are you going to do when the wind is not blowing? The fundamental point is it's not ready now. So what we should do is to pay for getting more research into making more efficient wind turbines and more efficient batteries. But we should not, which unfortunately is what Biden and most other politicians around the world are doing, we should not be putting up lots and lots of wind turbines that are ineffective now. We should focus on innovation so that eventually it becomes something everyone will want to buy. Right. Wind is not something people want to buy right now. It's something that you're forced to buy, just like with mostly electric cars. So the president also said that the flooding in Libya is a snapshot of what is to come if we don't climate proof the world. Your thought on that? Well, again, it's a cheap shot. Look, 
there are going to be problems with, with climate change. And one of the things that we expect will happen with climate change is that you're going to get more downpours and more severe downpours. But the fundamental problem with Libya was that we basically broken up the government. That's a whole conversation about was it right, uh, you know, uh, uh, foreign policy from both the US and Europe uh, over the last 10 years. Uh, and we have not been focusing on this dam that academics have been telling us it's going to break sooner or later for the last 10 years. So in reality, this is what happens when you don't have good governance and when you're so focused on the climate crisis that you forget to fix very, very simple stuff. Remember, again, I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated with the way that most people will tell you there's global warming. That means more people are going to die from heat waves. So we need to drive our cars less. No, first, if you actually care about people dying in heat waves, you need to make sure people have air conditioning and that they can afford to turn on their air conditioning. It seems like we're sort of getting it backwards when we talk about climate. It's about making those simple things. So again, if we really cared about these people in Libya, maybe we should have made sure that their dam would hold. Mm. So you wrote a piece in the New York Post this week called Welcome, UN delegates to New York, please don't waste our money. And you talk about the fact that leaders are trying to use a combined $91 billion in funds from the U.S. to fix every world problem like poverty and education, but end up getting nothing done because all of this spreads the money too thin and leaves the decision-making process on how to spend the money up to a myriad of committees and agencies all over the world. So it sounds like we're throwing money at problems and not fixing them. Yeah. You, you just, wow, that's a very good summary. So fundamentally, we are spending money very thinly across everything. Because remember, all politicians want to say, oh, I fix everything. Mm -hmm. I fix climate and I fix gender inequality and I fix uh, the problems of peace and, and hunger and poverty and everything else. And that's all nice. But it just so happens, and we know this from our daily lives, some things are much more effective to fix. Some things you can fix very cheaply and at low cost. Some things you can only very poorly fix at really high cost. And I'm simply saying that very, very basic point. Maybe we should fix the cheap, inexpensive, very effective things first. Let's figure out where can we do the most good with our dollar and do that first. If we want to help the world, and I think that's wonderful that so many people actually want to do good, why don't we try to do real good rather than just a little good? The Untold Story continues right after this. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. So the president also talked about the fact that the SDG promise got sidelined by COVID and that he is committed to seeing that through. What is SDG and is it a wise move to recommit to it? 
So everybody is recommitting this, this week. The SDGs is essentially all those promises you just talked about, that we promised everything to everyone. We've literally promised that we're going to er eradicate poverty. We're going to get rid of hunger. We're going to get all kids uh, to learn. We're going to get education everywhere. We're going to get rid of wars. We're going to get rid of corruption. We're going to fix climate change. We're going to do all things in the world. And of course, we're not going to do that. So it's just one of those pretty things that you go up on a, uh, uh, in the UN and say, oh, I want to do all of these things. But again, that means spreading all your money across everything really, really thinly. Just to give you a sense of proportion, we estimate if you actually were going to do all the things that Biden and every other leader in the world has been promising down the UN, if you were actually going to do that, it would cost somewhere between 10 and $15 trillion each and every year more. Remember, that's the same as all governments in the world or all, all nations in the world spend on taxes right now. We're basically saying let's double taxation everywhere in the world. <laughs> that's not going to happen. Yeah. And so off businesses yes, and yes. people's ability to buy food and homes and do all the things that, yeah. that um, make the engine of the economy run. Just just to fill in the gap there, um, the SDG is Sustainable Development Goals for Sorry. 2030 is, is what that SDG name means. So you, interestingly, uh, argue in your book, Best Things First, the 12 most efficient solutions for the world's poorest and our global SDG promises. So what do you think if everybody got together at the UN and said, how can we have the greatest impact on the poor in the world? What would they do? What would they focus on? And, and what do you think that would cost? What are the most important ways to elevate the world's poor? Well, that's that's exactly what I wrote the book on. And and fortunately, you don't actually have to get everybody together at the UN. This is something yeah, that you, yes, this is something that the U.S. could just do. This is something that American philanthropies can just do. This is something individual nations can just simply take from that book. And this again, this is not my work. This is the work of hundreds of the world's best economist looking at where can you spend a dollar and do the very most good. Let me give you two examples. Uh, so one very, very obvious thing is education doesn't work. This is true in many countries in many different ways, including this one, probably also somewhat in the US. But the problems in the poor half of the world, so the low and lower middle income countries in the world where 4.1 billion people live is much, much worse. So there's about 350 million kids in primary school right now, most of these kids are just not learning anything. So they're in school, but they're not learning anything. Uh, there's one wonderful question that they that they give these kids that you have to read it. So the, the sentence they have to read is VJ has a red hat, blue shirt and yellow shoes. What color is the hat? This is not difficult, right? The co color is red. Uh, but unfortunately, 80% of kids in the developing world can't read that sentence and answer it correctly. Why? Because they can identify the individual words, but they can't string them together to a meaning. And of course, if, you, if your kids can't even do that, there's no way you're going to catch up. There's no way you're going to get industrialized and get modernized and get rich and get out of all the other problems that you have. So how do you improve education? Unfortunately, we know what doesn't work because just spending more money on teachers, getting more lower class sizes doesn't work. Indonesia tried to do that. Turns out that even though you double the spending on teachers, yeah, it makes the teachers happier, but it doesn't actually have an impact on what the kids learn. But 
there is a great way. It's called learning at the right level. If you teach each of these kids at his or her own level. So remember, we have all the 12 euros in the same grade, right? Some of these kids are far beyond what the teacher is already teaching and pretty bored. Some of them have no clue what's going on and really, really lost. The teacher should be teaching each one of these kids at his or her own level. But of course you can't if you have 50 kids in the class. But technology can't. So if you put them in front of a tablet with educational software, this software will very quickly find out, oh, you're at this level and start teaching you at that level. If you do that one hour a day, that means both of you can share the tablet with many others. It lowers the cost of the, uh, of, the, of the tablet. And still what that means is after one year, you will have learned as much as you normally would have spent three years learning. Yeah. We'll just simply get much smarter kids. Now I'm not talking about suddenly they'll all be Einsteins. So that's not where we're going with this. But we know and it's documented that you will just simply have much better educated kids at very low cost. This costs about $31 per kid per year. But the benefit is that they become more productive, and so they'll be more productive and have higher incomes in the future. That rounds up to about $2,000. Spending $31 to make these kids $2,000 richer is an incredible investment. That's one of the things that we say. This is proven. We have lots of evidence to show this is an amazing way to make the world better. Every dollar spent will deliver $65 worth of good. So that's one of the things I wanted to show. Can I share one more? Yeah, I, I think the yeah. other example is maternal and newborn health that's that okay. you wrote about in the yeah. New York Post this week. So what is the most specific, clear way to improve maternal and newborn health that is cost effective? So just just remember, most people in the rich world have forgotten this. It's incredibly dangerous to be pregnant, especially if you're in poor countries, both for the mother, so about 300,000 moms die each year, and also for the kids. So 2.3 million kids die each year in the first 28 days on their earth. On, on Say their that life again. Here on earth. 2.3 million kids die. And we could avoid almost all of this. Now, what we find is that you can very, very cheaply, if you get moms into institutions to give birth, that means if a complication arises, there's a better chance that the mom and the kid will survive. And so this is because most of these children are being born at home. Well, so about two thirds are, are born in institutions, but partly. The, the last third is not. And also when you go to these institutions, often they have nothing. Because again, remember, uh, many of these hospitals will be run by men and they're run by doctors, not midwives. And the doctor want an MRI ma machine, right? I mean, the fun machine, not you know some stuff that'll just help moms and, and kids. So, so we need to make sure that more moms come in and when they're there they, and give birth, they actually have the opportunity if something arises to get very basic emergency obstetric care. One of those examples, I think that was what you were asking me for. One of them is to have a resuscitator, essentially a mask that you put over your face and push in air into your lungs. Something I never knew, but actually more than 700,000 kids die each year because they never start breathing or they stop breathing in the first couple of hours. And if you have that, you need to put this mask on top of them, pressure air into their lungs, and then they and then they start and then they live. 
This is a very, very simple. So this mask will cost about $75. And in a hospital, it'll last for about three years. So it can save up to, say, 25 kids. That's $5 to save a kid's life. How amazing is that? Why, why, why are we not doing that? Again, I'm not saying you should just run out and you know f fundraise this one thing because it's about having the whole institutional setup of getting moms in and making sure that these uh, 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 these uh, birth facilities are equipped with water, that they have disinfectants, that they have this mask and a few other things. This is very basic stuff. It'll cost a couple billion dollars. So, you know. Which really needs uh, someone who can coordinate this, right? Because what you have is different charities and fundraising, like, you know, sort of throwing certain things here and there. And then they're just one piece of the puzzle and they can't complete the rest of the puzzle because nobody's overseeing it and coordinating all of it. Well, I think it's 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 more basic than that. I, I actually don't worry so much about this. I, I get what you're saying. But I think it's much more that right now we're focused on everything. So you know, one NGO will be talking about we should get these these uh, uh, hand pumps for, for for babies, but lots of other ones are going to be saying no, no, we need electric cars. No, we need to do this. No, we need to go to Libya and, and fix this uh, this dike. Or there, there's all kinds of things that you are concerned about, and we spend a little money on all all of them. What we try to say is there's actually 12 really basic things that we should get right first. So what I would love was that, you know, that Biden, but everybody who's have, have their own uh, uh, philanthropy in the U.S. just said, look, we're going to take this advice. We're not going to do all 12. We can't do this. And we're not yeah, certainly we're gonna not going to do, two or three do all, of all, of, all over the world. But we're going to do, you know, maternal and newborn health in, say, uh, Malawi or something. Go in there, work with the government, make sure that this happens. It's incredibly cheap and it'll do an amazing amount of good. What we find in total is that for $35 billion, so much, much less than anyone is talking about, not nothing, but $35 billion a year is really couch change in the international system. For $35 billion, we could save 4.2 million lives each and every year, and we could make the poor half of the world $1.1 trillion richer each and every year. This would be through education and saving kids yeah. from maternal and newborn health, and all these other things that we're talking about, malaria and tuberculosis and all these uh, all these issues is very simple it's proven and we could do so much good for so little why and, don't we do that yeah, first and, and not waste uh I know. double yes. that amount um in what you're spending and not achieving the goals uh because you're too you're too scattered it's, it's sort of a basic lesson like anyone in your life if you have to focus on something that you're going to fix you have to focus on that thing and be successful at it bjorn lomberg thank you very much for being here the book is called best things first and as you say it's a combination of lots of economists and thinkers who are trying to figure out the most specific ways to actually actually make a difference in the world, the 12 most efficient solutions for the world's poorest and our global SDG promises. Thanks, Bjorn. Great Thank having you. you with us today. You've been listening to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.